this is maybe one of the more practical messages uh, you know, that every now and then you get to, uh, to, get to give. Uh, because I think this is something that we all deal with. But, uh, but frankly, I don't think many of us are very good at it. Okay, and I'll tell you what it is. It's uh, how many of you would say you're really good at dealing with conflict? <laughs> Anybody want to say, yeah, I'm an expert at dealing with conflict? Yeah, I, I didn't see any hands. <laughs> okay. You know, let me, let me, can I offer you at least one reason why? Okay, I think that, I think that we've all read books about conflict resolution or we've been in classes, maybe even heard other messages before, okay? We're gonna hear one day. But I, I wanna, I'm telling you this because I'm gonna, I'm trying to encourage you today to hear this message with fresh ears, okay? Because here's the reason. The, the biggest challenge with conflict is if, if one of you is in the middle of a conflict, it's very easy usually for me or someone else to see what it is because I'm not involved. Okay, I'm standing on the outside watching and I can see it. And so it's a lot easier for someone else to see, oh, what you're dealing with, here's a very simple way to deal with it, or here's something, don't do that, or here's something you should say. The problem is when it's you, because, because when we're the ones involved in the conflict, our emotions become involved. And once our emotions become involved, it becomes very difficult then for us to see clearly and to see actually use the things that we know. So now that we know that, <laughs> okay, Let's, let's, we're going to look today and see what, uh, how we can be better equipped for conflict. This is in our, in our series here. It's based in, it's going to be out of chapter two in Galatians. And, uh, you know, we, you know, you might say conflict. Well, I mean, let me give you some other words. It could be, you know, besides conflict, I mean, you might want to call them problems. Okay. Obstacles, barriers, you know, disputes. Sometimes it's as bad as outright opposition. But, but look, here's the thing. Anytime that you and I are seeking the will of God in any area of our lives and that we are committed to doing it, committed to following it, committed to walking it out, no matter the cost, the enemy is not happy. And the enemy is going to do his best to bring into your path resistance and conflict. Sometimes it will come through circumstances, other times through people. But he's going to try to make your life sufficiently miserable, sufficiently disturbed that you will back off, that you will back down. You'll reconsider the calling. You'll reconsider the things that God has called you to do. And it'll want you to even start questioning God and his wisdom. I mean, God, did you really call me to do this? Look at all this conflict. Look at all these problems. God, are you really telling me to treat this person a certain way or to go and, and try to make peace? Because look at how they're acting. Look at, look at what's going on. Okay, so what we need to understand is the enemy is going to do his best to keep us all apart and to keep us at odds with each other and to not resolve the things that we face. So just in your life, okay, what are some of the kind of, of, of conflicts or problems that we can face? 
just types of problems, not specific, but types. Work. We could have work conflicts. People. <laughs> yeah, people. Really? No, no one's never had people conflicts, right? We have people conflicts, right? We, I mean, there, there are just so many kinds of conflicts that, that we can face, right? Well, the Apostle Paul also faced regularly, he had these seasons of conflict in, in his life and in his ministry. And so we're going to read about one of those today. And that's going to be in Galatians 2. We're going to read the first 10 verses, uh, verses 1 to 10 in Galatians 2. Uh, and again, you've got the Bibles there or you can watch on the, uh, on the screen. But uh, starting in verse 1, it, it talks about, it says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false teachers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me, because God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also in work at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, who's Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked that we should do was to continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do. Okay, so... Let's set this up. When Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch from their first missionary journey, okay, they were excited. They were excited about all the ways that God had, had opened a door to faith among the people that they had been with. I mean, let's just put it in today's language. They had a great trip. They had a great trip. They had good turnout for their meetings. Okay, and that a lot of people who came had become followers of Jesus. We can read about that in Acts 14, verse 26 and 27. It says, from Italia, we sail back to Antioch, and where we had been uh, committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. It says, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them, and how he had opened a great door of faith. However, some Jewish legalists back in Jerusalem, okay, weren't so happy about this when they heard the report. Because, so what they did is they came to Antioch and they started teaching that the Gentiles had to first become Jews before they could become Christians. Acts 15.1 tells us certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay? 
Okay, step outside of this for just a second. I mean, isn't it interesting how often in your life, just after you've experienced some great moment with God, some great experience of blessing, all of a sudden you hit a pothole. Has anybody ever experienced that? That I mean like something great happens and you're just you're on the mountaintop, you're thinking this is fabulous, and it seems like you turn around and here's a problem. Okay? Look, the enemy doesn't even want to give you five minutes to celebrate all the good stuff God, God's done for you or through you. Okay? He wants to help you really quickly forget about it. Because the more you can remember how good God has been and the blessings he's brought into your life, the more you're not messed up and divided and off by yourself. He wants, because he, you're praising God. The enemy is not going to help you praise God. He's not going to help you remember to sing praises to God. He's going to try to help you think, what a mess my life is. And he wants to help you feel surrounded by conflict and by problems. So here's Paul. Paul's now at a crossroads in his ministry, okay? And, and he's got to ask, what am I going to do? Am I going to retreat? Am I going to dig in and just try to hold on? Or am I going to try to find a way to move forward? So let me ask you a question. When you find yourself surrounded by conflict, okay, what are some of the possible ways you can respond to it? One way is you can get mad. Absolutely. What else? You can throw up your hands and run away from it as fast as you can. Yeah. Sometimes you can try and blame. Yeah, yeah, put it on other people, right? And, and complain about other stuff. Yeah, we can respond with disappointment. I mean, we can start to say, God, how come you let me. Why are you doing this to me? Or why are you letting this happen to me? Right? I mean, look, I mean, we, the, 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 but this kind of gets back to something we've talked about a number of times, and we'll talk about it more today and agree. You know, the danger, right, is there's a big difference between reacting and responding. Okay? It's, it's a little like, you know, if somebody kicks you, you want to kick them back. Okay? That's reacting, right? Responding is somebody kind of kicks you, and you first say, why did they kick me? <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? It's, it's taken a moment yeah. to think about it. It's taken a moment to consider and not just immediately bouncing, bouncing back, okay? So let's look now. Usually the Bible is a really good example for us to follow, right? We all know we can follow that. So let's see what Paul did in order to deal with this conflict that he was being faced by. Well, the first thing that Paul did and we need to do is pray and seek wise counsel. And that's exactly what Paul did. Galatians, when we read Galatians a moment ago, remember verse 1 and 2. It said, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and it says, I went in response to a revelation. And then meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running or had not been running my race in vain. Paul's first action when he was confronted by people who were saying, no, you got to be 
a Jew, before you can be a Gentile, his first reaction to confront the problem was to pray. It was to pray, to talk to God about it, because verse 2 tells us he went up to Jerusalem in response to a revelation. That revelation came as a, resp- a re- re- as a response to taking the issue before God. He turned the problem over to God. The next thing he did was it tells us that he met privately with those that he thought could help. The reason he went to Jerusalem was to confirm that he was still on track. That, that, that the message he had been preaching, that he hadn't veered off course somewhere, okay? I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but in Matthew 18, there is a very good process that is very clearly outlined in Scripture for us to use in dealing with conflict, in dealing with problems. It was written as a way to deal with conflict or problems within the church, But I can tell you from practical experience, it works very well with any type of problem or conflict between between any group of people. Let's read Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, and it says, If your brother or sister sins, go uh, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you've won them over. If they will not listen... Take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, which just means to, you know, just turn aside and say, well, we can't have any more fellowship. Okay? Look, here's the issue. Too often today... When any of us, when anyone you know, any of us, feel hurt, offended, just disappointed, the first thing we do is go tell everybody. The first thing we do is we go tell everybody who will listen. We post it on social media. We may email everyone we know. But we, we, we do whatever we can as loudly as we can because what we're really doing is we're wanting to call attention to ourselves and how we feel about our situation. Does that make sense? We see that happening all the time. No matter how good this might make you feel initially, it usually, it does nothing to resolve the problem. And it usually only alienates the other party further. And just makes the eventual resolution that much more difficult. So, when you're confronted with problems or conflict in any area of your life, avoid the temptation to react. Begin by praying about it. By turning it over to God and asking Him how you should respond. But then you got to wait for God to respond, to, to point out to you, Look, in most situations where people are involved, uh, Matthew 18's counsel is also very valuable where it instructs you to meet with them privately. In this case, Paul, along with Barnabas, went to Jerusalem, and it says that they met with James 
Peter, and John. Okay, while I realize that's not a one-on-one -on -one private meeting, considering who was involved and what the issue was, that was the most private group possible. It was, it was the two guys who were bringing the question and the three who were like the source of the answer. And so it was, a, so when, you, when it says meet privately, often that is one-to-one, -one, right? So that, so that it can be a private discussion. But sometimes that meeting privately may just mean the smallest group possible in order, in order to keep the issue into the small group to see if it can't be resolved there, okay? Once he was alone with the group, it tells us in verse 2 that Paul presented to them the gospel that he preached among the Gentiles. I'm going to, let me just restate this more modern, you know, in kind of the way we talk, okay? So Paul told that leadership team in Jerusalem what he had been teaching and preaching on his first missionary journey. Because he wanted to, he wanted to have them, he wanted to see he, them to confirm that the gospel message that he had been preaching was in fact the gospel message that they were also preaching and approved of. No more, no less. Just, am, am, are, are, are we still all in alignment here? Okay? So now here's the thing. If most of us recognize Paul as a pretty strong guy, pretty strong personality, right? Okay? So for Paul to have gone and, and, and submitted himself to, the, to these leaders in Jerusalem took, took some effort. It, it, it had to take him feeling led by God. It says he went because God told him to as a result of a revelation by praying to God. So can you imagine? So here's Paul. He's got a conflict because people are set, tell, have come and said, hey, the, the people you're preaching to, they, they, they got to become Jews before they become believers. Paul's now at a moment of conflict. Is my, is my ministry going to continue? Am I going to fight? What am I going to do? So rather than reacting, he prays and says, Lord, I need to know what to do. This is a big deal because I need to know whether to quit, to go on. And just like some of us can find ourselves. And because he stopped and he prayed and he asked God, what should I do? It says, as a result of a revelation, God said, I want you to go. And I want you to submit yourself to the leadership of the church that I've put into place. And I want you to tell them what you've been doing. As a result of his obedience and going to Jerusalem, here's what happened. The church leaders, it says, added nothing to Paul's message. They said, good job, you're right on mark. You're, you're, you're preaching exactly what we preach. They added nothing to his message. But what even more happened? More than he even could have expected. It says, they extended the right hand of Christian fellowship to both him and Barnabas. They said, we are all doing the same thing. Praise God. We're in alignment. We're unified. Okay, they, and they agreed that Paul and Barnabas should go to the Gentiles with this gospel message. The first thing we ought to learn from Paul about being equipped to handle problems is that when you become aware of a problem, before you do anything else, you pray. You pray. And you take the problem before the Lord and you ask him to reveal the path that you should take to resolve it. Think about it. This obedience from Paul led to a full endorsement of his ministry. Okay? They didn't just say, well, it's a good thing you came, but, you know. No, they were like, man, we are with you. 
We fully endorse your ministry. And it even led the leaders in Jerusalem. They gave him their support in dealing with those legalists, those Judaizers, they were called, that were coming and causing all the problem to begin with. Sometimes when we, you and I can be facing problems and we go, I don't even know how to start. And I don't know how to, I, you know, I can get mad, but it won't help. But I don't know how to solve this. When we do it God's way, look at this. He, he didn't make Paul fight the battle. He put those guys in, in alignment with him and they had his, you see what I mean? He had their support also to deal with the actual source of the problem. God can bring us resources and answers from places that we would never imagine. The second thing we need to learn to be equipped to handle conflict is to resist distractions. Anytime you find yourself surrounded by conflict or problems of any kind, the enemy is going to likely attempt to capitalize on that moment, okay, uh, by trying to distract you. Uh, It could be with people. Issues, just something that will distract you and take you off course. Okay? Because he wants to move you further away from the task that God has for you. A great example of being offered a distraction was Nehemiah. If you remember in the Old Testament uh, account of Nehemiah when he was rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, which was a big task. There were plenty of people who were not happy about the wall being rebuilt. So there was definitely conflict that he was having to face and having to address daily. Daily, okay? But, but as if the conflict weren't enough, there were distractions. In Nehemiah 6, verses 1 to 3, uh, we can read about one example. It says, when, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies... These were the enemies that were not happy the wall was being rebuilt. Okay? Uh, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set in the doors and in, in the gates. It says that those guys, Sanballat and Geshem, sent me this message, sent it to Nehemiah. And they said, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? The enemy will try and give you other things to do. All of a sudden, other, someone else wants your attention. Other, there are other demands and expectations. It's anything to to get, distract you from the task of the thing that you need to do so that you will become distracted and ineffective and not continue on on the path. Sometimes we have to say, uh, I cannot go down. I'm carrying on a great work because I'm being obedient to what God has called me to do. Nehemiah understood that this request was just a distraction. It was to take his focus off his mission of rebuilding the wall and he didn't fall for it. So when those legalists, when those Judaizers arrived in Antioch, and they began to create the conflict and confusion among the new Gentile believers, you know, what it was was by you know, attempting to require circumcision 
for the Gentiles to become uh, believers. The Pharisees in Jerusalem tried the very same thing while Paul was there. Okay? Paul, along with the other church leaders that he was meeting with, resisted the distraction. They resisted that distraction from their mission. And, they, and here's what they said in Acts 15, verses 6 to 11. It says, The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the, the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. Anytime you commit yourself to living for God and find yourself with a difficult problem or a conflict, you want to pray and seek wise counsel, but then you also need to resist the distractions that are trying to steer you off course and and make you uh, ineffective. The final thing to be effectively uh, equipped for conflict, though, is that you need to know how to confront issues appropriately how to confront the issues appropriately. Apparently, at some point, after after Paul and Barnabas had returned from Jerusalem to Antioch, Peter Peter came to visit them. And like Paul and Barnabas, Peter was enjoying full fellowship uh, with the Gentile Christians, including by eating with them. Okay. Uh, culturally, eating with someone was a sign of full acceptance. And let's, uh, let's read that, uh, that passage of Scripture when they came. So let's read Galatians 2, 11 through 21. It says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's Paul did. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have to to put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay. So, when Peter pulled back, here's the problem. Peter, what he did was 
a public thing, okay? Because eating, eating together with people, can we all agree, if, if we go to lunch together, does that mean we kind of accept each other? I mean, do you go to lunch with people you don't like? No, I mean, just, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to make a joke here, but do you understand what I mean? Do you, do you go have a meal with people you don't like? Not normally, right? No, if you say, hey, let's, you know, if you go to a group, people say, hey, let's all go have lunch or let's all have dinner or please come to my house for dinner or whatever. It's people you care about. It's people you agree with. It's people who you want to be around, right? Okay, so, so before this, Jews and Gentiles didn't hang out together. But as they became believers and followers of Jesus, they started to hang out together. They would eat together. And in that day, in their culture, eating together was a sign of acceptance. That meant I, I accept you. But then when these Judaizers came from Jerusalem, okay, some of the Jewish leaders, that the, 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 like Peter, who had come there, all of a sudden decided to pull back and not eat with people again. He said, I can't eat with you. And so Paul is saying, what's going on? Are you, are you afraid of men? Or are you going to honor God? He was afraid of the men from Jerusalem rather than the unity that came by following God. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says that fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in God is kept safe. Paul knew. Well, it says that even Barnabas got, got caught up in this. Okay? Look, Paul knew that if he didn't say anything, if he didn't confront this and let it go, that the outcome would be that the church would split. There would all of a sudden be Jews and Gentile church. But God was not wanting two bodies. He was wanting one body, one church. That was what had been created. So Paul understood that this was not about personalities, and it certainly wasn't about some kind of religious politics. Okay? This was about one thing and one thing alone, and it was the truth of the gospel. That's all it was. It was about the truth of the gospel. Was faith in Jesus alone all that was required for salvation? Paul cared a lot more about remaining faithful to his call than he was concerned about his popularity, frankly, even his safety. Okay? And so in this case, it was necessary and appropriate for Paul to give a public rebuke. The rebuke was public. Public actions sometimes necessitate public rebuke. Even Matthew 18 supports this as potentially necessary for those who will, not, who will not see what they've done. Paul confronted Peter, Galatians 2.14, it says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, okay, and then he confronted him. But I want to point out one, one thing. When, Pete, when Paul confronted Peter, I want you to notice, remember, here's what he said. He said, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. So how is it then that you want to make Gentiles act like Jewish people? Okay, is that, is that very straightforward? Was it fairly strong? 
Yeah, okay, but let me, let me offer you what it wasn't. What he didn't include in that, in that confrontation, in that moment, his, he didn't include a lot of emotionally charged language. He didn't include things like, you never, you always, I can't believe how you're acting. This is terrible. This is where we get off base a lot of times. Okay? We, he stayed to the, he kept it clean, focused on the issue because what Paul understood was the problem was the issue, the behavior, not the person. Okay, when we start to use emotionally charged language, it usually starts to be about the person. And that's what makes resolution eventually far more difficult because, you know, it's a lot like if, if I've always, I always learned a long time ago when there's a problem, you know, we, too, we tend to say, well, we need to sit down across the table from each other and work this out. Okay, I get that. Actually, I think that's the wrong thing completely. Okay? I, because if, if, if it's kind of like if this piece of paper is the problem and, and, and you and I are the two who are doing it and we set it like this, and so as we're both sitting at the table and we're both looking at the problem, every time I look at the problem, I see you. But all of a sudden, you and the problem start to look like the same thing. On the other hand, if we put the problem over here and we come sit beside each other, and now we say, look at this problem. Well, now we're not, you don't, you don't become part of the problem. Do you see? It's a lot easier mentally to keep it straight. And so what Paul was doing was by not using emotionally charged language, it's more like he's sitting over beside Peter saying, why are you doing this? This is not right. But he's not accusing Peter of being a terrible person and, oh, you always make mistakes and... Remember when you, you know, you know, you denied Jesus, you know. I mean, he wasn't going back and dredging up old things. He was focused on what was the issue right now. What you and I are talking about, first of all, Proverbs 15.1 clearly gives us some guidance when it says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. A gentle answer, a straightforward, a focused comment keeps it from, out, from not being emotional. My paraphrase would be non-emotionally charged language makes it easier for the other person to actually hear what you're saying and for them to respond appropriately. Because Paul's rebuke was effectively delivered, it was received. And Peter and Barnabas corrected their behavior. And no doubt, those Judaizers, those legalists, returned to Jerusalem empty-handed for their efforts. So along with prayer and seeking wise counsel, as well as resisting distractions, learning to confront issues appropriately is key to becoming fully equipped to handle conflict. Now, I want to leave you with this one last bit. As much as you and I can know and as much as we can understand about these, these steps, 
this, this path forward. And hopefully today you've gotten a few new ideas on how and some things to do. Here's the part that we can't miss. As, as good as we might think we will be at this, we need to be equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where the wisdom comes from. That's where that, that... Have you ever almost said something and felt like something just grabbed your tongue? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt like you were just about to say something that was probably in that moment going to feel really good, but it was going to be really foolish to say? And you felt like somehow that happened or something grabbed your tongue and, for, and you can't even explain it because you were like, and nothing comes out. And later you look back and you go, God, thank you for not letting me say that absolutely foolish thing. Okay. That's, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Okay. That's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we can be in a conflict. We can have, can we all agree that there's some problems in life that are just really hard. Can we all agree with that? I mean, you know, some of these are not simple disagreements about where do we go to dinner tonight or, you know, what, what should the thermostat be set at? Although that's a pretty big one, you know. I mean, no, do no, you know what I mean? There, 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 are, there are little disagreements people have that are really, right, they're very solvable. But, but we can have issues in our life. Some of them are faith issues but that are difficult to solve. And, and we need to remember that the, the most important thing we can do is we need to be equipped by the Holy Spirit. That's where the power, that's where the wisdom, that's where the patience, because it tells us that Paul prayed and asked God, but it also tells us he waited for God to give him direction. He went based on revelation from God. And boy, I don't know about you, but where I've messed up probably a lot in my life is, yeah, I prayed, but then I said, I got to go do something. And I was more, and I probably approached it more like, and God, please bless what I just did. <laughs> Does that make sense? Can anybody else, anybody want to like admit that maybe you've been like, I mean, that's the, that's our, 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 our biggest challenge as humans. Okay, is because a lot of us, at least a lot of guys I know, are problems. We want to be problem solvers, you know? And so we want to, yeah, I'll pray, but then I'm going to go do something. And then I wind up praying God and ask him to forgive me, bless it anyway. You know, I don't know, whatever. Paul actually waited for a revelation. And it doesn't tell us how long that was. I'm really into God answering my prayers right now. But it doesn't say he did. It just says he went once he had a revelation that this is what he was supposed to do. Maybe one of the best things that you and I can learn from all of this in our own lives is not to get ahead of God. Just don't get ahead of God. Because, you know, he's the guy. <laughs> it's his book that, that, that promotes unity. Right? It's his book that, out, that defined love. Okay? 
So if God's okay with you waiting a few days before you start moving, a week or two, whatever it takes, you ought to be okay too. Because it's really, it's his word that's up, that's being followed. So let well, you know, I, and, and, that, well, and that's where sometimes wise counsel, right? Because sometimes we were talking about this earlier. Sometimes when you pray and you think, I think I've heard from God on this. Yeah. Okay? But one of the things before you move, because, again, this is not trying to go solve the problem. This is trying to confirm your own, you know, how you should react. One of the things, that's where godly counsel comes in. That's where having people, we all need some people in our lives who we trust. Yeah. Right? I mean, there, there are people you know, there are people you like, but you might not trust them completely with their counsel or advice. But there are usually, all of us in our lives hopefully have at least one or two or three people of a small group, but of people who we could say, hey, let me, let me tell you what, you know, I don't need to give you all the you know, gory details. You don't need to know who the problem, you know, who the people are. I just need to tell you, I'm facing a problem like this, and I've been praying, and I feel like God has given me some insight here in how to move forward. I'd like to share that with you and then tell me in your view, in your experience, in your walk with God, does that line up with God? Okay. Now, the main thing is that you should have been praying about it because, because what the people should tell you ought to be confirming what you believe God's been putting on your heart. That's really the key, I think, for us, okay, is, is that it confirms it. But the thing we want to look at today is, is how do we, how do we you know, kind of build it in our minds to remember that we want to pray, we want to let God give us direction, we want to uh, seek that wise counsel like Paul did, we want to resist the distractions from the enemy, and then when required that we confront those, those, those issues appropriately without emotionally charged language that help. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get ready to close. Uh, why don't you stand with me? And we for sure only want to attempt any of that with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be equipped by the Spirit to be able to live our lives. Let's bow our heads. Uh, nobody looking around. Look, we've talked about these major areas in our life. And today, just gonna, I'm just going to say them back one more time. And, and for you, if, there's, if, I, if I say one of them and you go, yeah, that's an area that I, I could, you know, I need to ask for God to help me grow in this area. Okay, it's an area that I want to see some growth in. Just raise your hand as I say them. How about if you want uh, growth in the, in the area of prayer and seeking wise counsel? Just raise your hand and put it back down. Great. How about resisting the enemy's distractions? Yeah. Amen. Okay, and then how about confronting issues appropriately? Amen. Lord, today, God, you've seen our hearts. Lord, we want to be good at this. God, we know you even said in your word, Father, that in this world you're going to face challenges and trials. God, we know there's conflict. We know there's problems out there. And, Lord, we want to become uh, equipped by the Spirit to deal with them. Because, Father, what, what we're, we're not out to win the arguments. We're out to honor you. And so, Father, I pray now that today... You've seen our hands. You know our hearts. And we pray, I pray, Father, that you would pour into each of our lives that Holy Spirit, godly wisdom that will allow us to remember 
the pattern that you set for us. That you will give us the wisdom to respond in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Lord, for all of us today that have challenges, even now, in our lives, Lord, we just pray your blessing, your resolution, and your restoration over each of those areas. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. And agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. Amen. Amen.